Two Dead Girls and Jubilee contains material that may be upsetting to some audiences, including sudden loud noises, adult language, and depictions of murder and suicide. For more information, please find us on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's the number two Dead Girls Pod. July 21st, 1997. It's been 48 hours since Annie was killed. 35 since Pa was thrown in jail. Remember our friend Craig Donnelly? Please, Brenda. Take Myra, go home. Not until I'm allowed to see my husband. I know this is hard, I do. But try to be reasonable. Oh, oh, is something about this situation unreasonable? Doesn't matter how related you are. You can't just drop in to see an accused. Craig, if you finish that sentence in front of my daughter, then so help me. Brenda. Oh, Alan. Miss Myra. Hello. Alan, hi. I think that better be Mr. Whitmayer, given the circumstances. Or counselor, if you prefer. Okay. Sure thing. Ed, how you holding up? You'll be out of here in no time. Alan says not to worry. Alan? Mr. Whitmayer, he, he came to help. No. No what? No big shot expensive lawyers. He's waived his fees. So, so he's here to get his face on TV? He's not. If you'd seen him out there... I saw him sue Burt Rickman out of his family farm. And I'll be pleased to never see him again. He was doing his... He was doing his job for his client. Now we're his clients. We need his help, Ed. Brenda, she's dead. Ellen Whitmire can't fix that with all the legal bullshit between here and Lake Michigan. I deserve to be in here. You didn't kill her. No. But she'd still be alive if it wasn't for me. If I hadn't sent her to the store. She didn't die going to the store. She died going home. And you didn't send her home. I did. We all tend our private guilt gardens. We pretend that we, and only we, could have changed what happened. So our little guilt weeds grow, until their tendrils press at every corner of the skull, until they force their way out of our mouths. And then, usually, something incredible happens. The weed withers. People shrug and say, we all make mistakes, or you couldn't have known, or... Maybe that wouldn't have made any difference. They say, you're an 11-year-old girl, and being disobedient is not the same as being a murderer. But when I voice my role in Annie's death, the denials come a split second slow. The sentences trail off. And so the vines of my weed spread thick as tree trunks 
and I see that it will live forever. Or, at least as long as I do. Tonight's top story, a deadly storm, a missing girl, and in Jubilee, Indiana, a homicide investigation. Annabelle was this beautiful, innocent little girl. Well, beautiful is a stretch. Hang, hang on, are you recording this? We're learning a second girl, Jessica Kaplan, has been found dead in the- do you plan to make an apology? We acted on the information available. I'm not going to apologize for that. Conspiracy. That's what I say. Goddamn conspiracy. 33% of murders in this country are never solved. Any reasonable person can see This here is a small town. Them girls was killed by a grass cut and him singing Jubilee. That's why he ain't been stopped. No. The murder of Jesse Kaplan could have been stopped. Except nobody cared about Annie. Nobody did nothing until a second girl died. Be careful, Myra. Jubilee is watching. This is Two Dead Girls in Jubilee. Chapter 3. Confluence of Coincidence. If you want to believe that Pa will rot comfortably in his hardwood box beneath the side lawn of Jubilee Methodist, he needn't look any further than his bedroom. The converted closet at the end of the hall makes a coffin seem spacious. I guess 19th century architects didn't make much provision for married couples sleeping apart. The room is an empty place. Empty, except for box upon box of audio cassettes. Hand-labeled spines that say McGraw, Tim, or straight, George. Somewhere, one of them says Hancock, Wayne. A breadcrumb. From Pa. How many copies of Blue Clear Sky can one man own? Yeah? I brought you a plate of casserole. Ma, hey, thanks. I wasn't sure I'd ever see you again. Yeah, um, I panicked, I guess. I'm sorry. About the eulogy. That's between you and your father. No, I hurt you embarrassed you. You understood him better than I ever did. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I, um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to stay a while, if that's okay. I'm not sure why, I just, I feel this is where I need to be. I think you're searching for something. What? You know piece of your father. I just mean it's no great mystery why you feel this is where you need to be. Anyway, help yourself to clean sheets. You know where.
Who's there? Show yourself. Easy, Sheriff. It's just me. Ed Abernathy. I need to ask you a few questions. I don't think that's a good idea. Why not? Your wife tried to sue me. She didn't win. She didn't lose. Anyway, tie goes to whoever doesn't end up shit-canned and blackballed, cleaning gum off the bottom of Methodist church pews just to keep a roof up. I'd give up my roof. And not scrape gum for ten lifetimes to still have both my kids. How's Myra? Don't. I'm not asking you to be friendly. I'm just asking for your help. All right. Something about Annie? I know everything there is to know about Annie. I want to talk about Jesse Kaplan. Coffee first? I don't have creamer. Uh, yeah. Black's fine. It's late, past nine when I arrive at Liam's house. Pa's copy of Johnny Law snug in my pocket. In the dish rack, there are two plates, two forks, two knives. There's only one mug, so Liam pours his own coffee in a pint glass etched with the 2011 home schedule of the Maryland Terrapins. Basketball, I think. In the hallway behind him, the faded wallpaper is checked with gray-brown rectangles, the ghosts of family portraits of tenants past. I'm reminded of Berto's complaints about the lack of pictures in my barren Chicago cubicle, something Liam and I have in common. Maisie's asleep? School night. She is gonna be ticked. Hasn't shut up for two minutes about this thing. She wants to be like you, a cop. I think in this case more about you. Wanting to help you. What? I don't usually... I'm, I'm not great with kids. Well, she's a weird kid. <laughs> you know, single fathering, I guess. Eggs? Eggs? Yeah, it goes with the coffee. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask about her mom? Forget it. None of my business. That's well, okay. I'm, you know, pretty deep into your family stuff here. It's just, it's not a happy ending, you know. When is it ever? Yeah. I met her in a convenience shop in West Baltimore, 2008. young, idealistic. My first month as a detective. She had dyed black hair, nose ring, tattoos, basically everything my parents would have hated if you know, they were still around. And the first time I laid eyes on her, she was standing between me and a teenage shoplifter, letting the kid escape with some Slim Jims. So I laid it into her, you know, obstruction of justice, juvenile crime stats. I, I finally ran out of steam, and she just said, completely calm, that she knew where the kid lived. And if I cared that much, she'd take me. So, we walk. I've seen West Baltimore from my squad car every day for months, but 
barely ever seen it on foot. I hear music, smell, old bay. It's been about my cases, unsolvable hand-me-downs mostly. I admit, by accident, that I grew up in Wyman Park in a big house. I feel like an imposter. <laughs> we end up at a first-floor window to a housing project. And inside, my perp is handing out his take to younger kids. Skin and bones, they all are. The cashier girl says, You've got conviction. The law needs that. But sometimes doing the right thing requires letting someone get away. She said that? <laughs> Every word. Cheesy? Uh, yeah, um, a little. No, the, the eggs. Oh, fine, uh, yeah. So, what, you asked her out? Well, she said she didn't date, especially cops. So, uh, we spent about the next five hours at a dive bar. She's on drink two and she says someday she's gonna open a flower shop. I've had four, and I tell her someday is BS. She should do it tomorrow. Though I admit she doesn't seem like a flower person. You know, the black hair, the tattoos. She's had six, and she says her coolest tattoo is a sunflower. She just can't prove it in a bar. Anyway, she asked if I thought she should get an abortion. I asked her to marry me. Not because of the baby, you know. Because I loved her. The baby just made it seem possible. What did she say? Oh, nothing at first. She had a cigarette. I joined her and tried to pretend it wasn't my first, which, you know didn't work. She said, uh, getting married was a bad idea. But we did it anyway. The pregnancy was complicated. There were a lot of prescriptions, things that hung around long after Maze was born. When I worried too much, we fought. When we fought too much, she'd leave. Then she'd come back and we start over. So I took doubles to pay for daycare. You know, I thought that would give her some room to get well. But really, I was just losing touch. And then I came home one night. Um, single sunflower on the table. She'd emptied every pill bottle in the house and just drifted away for good. There's a silver band still on his ring finger. But instead of mentioning it, I just say, I'm so sorry. Well, don't be. She made her choice. That's better than your sister got. Tell me about this tape. Jesse Kaplan, huh? 
I guess so. I know next to nothing. She got a bicycle flat? Uh, Yeah. She was plucked from the side of the road in broad daylight. They found her in the quarry before she was even cold. I guess they knew where to look after you, sister. Can I top you off? Um, Yeah, thanks. Was she abused? The autopsy was inconclusive, but she... Uh, She was stripped from the waist down. She and Annie both. Do you have a a leak or something? He stuck his head under the sink all the way to the shoulder blade. He emerges holding a pack of cigarettes. But his smile sours when he sees the contents have been replaced with crayons. She's clever. (laughs) You have no idea. So... You father. How does Jesse relate to all that? He was in jail when Jesse was killed. As soon as it became obvious that the murders were linked, that absolved him. They let him go. And the backlash swung to Donnelly. Well, you know all that stuff about the first 48 hours in a homicide investigation? Donnelly wasted three weeks on Pa. After Jesse, it got a little hard to tell if he even wanted to catch the real killer. Or if he was afraid catching the right guy would just prove what an idiot he was in the first place. And then hello, conspiracy. Oh. Hi, Maisie. Nope, back to bed. It's almost ten. It'd be 9.30 if you didn't blab about Mom for so long. Come on. If you send me back up, I'm just going to lie on the floor and listen through the vents. And then probably get a horrible neck cramp and miss, like, six days of school. Violent crime isn't a subject for ten-year-old girls. Come on, Dad. I want to help. She's right. That's where all the conspiracy theories began. That is not helping. You already caved. I can tell just from looking at you. You replaced my cigarettes with crayons. Yeah. Are you going to smoke them? If not, I want them back. Okay, lay it on me. Did your people move the bike? That's your question. Do you want to help or not? Yeah, I do. But I'm not relitigating the bike thing. That's knee-deep conspiracy bull. You really think Jesse Kaplan was snatching a block from the Jenkins Pharmacy in the middle of the afternoon and, no, and nobody I'm saw a saying... thing? Look, I had a gag order on all details of Annabelle's death. I wanted to avoid contaminating the witnesses, and believe it or not, I didn't want to bring any undue anguish to Brenda and Myra. The point is, most folks believed that the situation with Annabelle was domestic, a one-off. So, Jesse gets this flat tire. Someone stops, maybe even someone she knows. And they say, hop in, let's go get your dad, and we'll come back for that bike in his pickup truck. Would you blame her? knowing only what she knew, forgetting in the car. And assuming she went quietly, would you blame folks driving by for committing nothing to memory? What about Jenkins' cameras? They they don't show where the bike was found. But we ran plates on every car that went by. We checked the room registries at the nearest motels in every direction. We checked the trailer lot down by the river. No stolen cars, no suspicious injuries, other than your hand, anyway. We took a team to the county dump and dug through 10,000 trash bags, looking for the polka dot tights, the 
creep pulled off Annabelle, looking for a red lanyard and a silver key. We didn't quit until we dug all the way down to bags of wrapping paper and Christmas handbooks. What do you want? A medal? I want you to know we tried. We just came up against a boogeyman. <laughs> Not a boogeyman. A man with blood in his veins, with fingerprints and a license plate. So when, when you say boogeyman, what I hear is you blew it. You missed something. And now the trail's ice cold. Yeah. There's one thing you don't know. Excuse me? You said you wanted to talk about Jesse because you know everything about Annie. But that's not true. The first thing I did that night was retrace Annie's steps. And that took me to Jenkins. Closed early. No big deal. Tim likes to tell his wife he's at work and his customers he's at home, if you know what I mean. I knock and out comes Tim. But he doesn't invite me in, even though it's raining cats and dogs. I don't mind. You know, I'm trying to get to Vincennes before the 8 o'clock trains. And he's saying exactly what I expect. Annie was there and gone, unharmed. No suspicious characters. He's sure she'll turn up at Lucy Dubrow's or Josephine Wallace's or blah, blah, blah. But as he goes back in, I catch this glimpse inside. One of those moments that leaves you wondering if you really saw anything at all. place was upside down. Shelves overturned. Broken glass, open food. I saw something like it once in Anchorage after I got out of the Marines. Only, Jubilee's a little far south for a store to get burglarized by a moose. But you, but you've never followed up? After the debacle with your arrest, there was no wiggle room for gut instincts. And anyway, this wasn't anything concrete, just a Confluence of coincidence. Yeah, after Jesse. What, a, what about the four, Jesse? What about while I was rotten in jail, accused of killing my That's daughter? That's not. Ed, wait. I know you don't want to hear this from me, but I'm sorry. And I hope you catch whatever bastard did it. It's my greatest regret that I couldn't do that for you, for Brenda. For Myra, I mean it. Myra and I had a fight. I haven't heard from her in a while. Well, Christmas is coming up. I'm sure you will. Of course, I didn't call that Christmas, or any Christmas after. Summer of 2017, the 20th anniversary of Annie's death, was the last of many rounds of Ed v. Myra. We never spoke again. Liam and I consult Pa's notes, but there's no mention of Tim Jenkins or his pharmacy. For the next 45 minutes, the discussion of Donnelly's confluence of coincidence slow fades to silence. Maisie sleeps on the sofa. I've been running away from this town my whole life. 
How do you end up running towards it? You know that diner off 41? Halfway to Terre Haute. Big yellow awning? I guess you could say I moved here for the tenderloin. <laughs> that good, huh? No, I, I felt... Of course I knew nothing about the jubilant child killer. I felt the people around here had lost something. Like me. I felt like home. Is that stupid? No. Cheesy, though. <laughs> Whatever the reason, I'm glad. I don't want to have to do this by myself. I'm here. And in case it's not abundantly obvious, you couldn't get rid of Maze if you wanted to. With that, he scoops Maisie up and carries her to bed. I take a final glance at Pa's notes. Where does it all lead? I reach down to put on my shoes. I discover a website printout peeking from beneath the sofa, stamped 9.33 a.m. The approximate time the Jubilee County limits were passing from my windshield to my rearview mirror. The page is headed, The Lyric Lady, and beneath that, Wayne Hancock's Johnny Law. It was a lie. He chased me halfway to Chicago to ask for help with a riddle he'd already solved. I grasp for motive. I come up empty. Myra? I have an idea about Tim Jenkins. Um, I need to take pause notes. Sure, okay. I, uh... I'll talk to you soon, I guess. Yeah. Soon. Brenda. Come on, Myra. Pick up your feet. Brenda. Brenda. Oh, Alan. I, uh... I need to tell you something. Me first. I know this is going to be hard, and I... I just want to say, you'll never know how much we appreciate it. How much Ed appreciates it. We'd be lost without your help. Right. Well, uh, I've just had a phone call with Erwin Everly, the head of AgriWise. He, uh... Brenda, they're going to charge Ed this afternoon. What does that mean? Shh. Erwin isn't sure it's in the company's best interest to have senior staff aiding an accused... Uh, well, it's, it's not just the, the big M, which plenty of folks don't believe. It's the other charge. The other charge? With the polka dot tights. They're saying... Perhaps we could send Myra... Burn in hell, Alan. Burn in hell. If he's innocent, it won't matter who represents him. If? Th that's not what I meant. What are we supposed to do? There are public defenders. Public? Jesus. This is death penalty stuff, Alan. And you're telling me public defender? There are city firms, experienced lawyers that How would... much? What? How much? Would it cost? Five thousand. And if it drags on? Maybe a hundred thousand. 
Myra. Say goodbye to Mr. Whitmare. Goodbye. Back at the farmhouse, I stuff Pa's notes into an envelope in the bottom of my luggage. I pile dirty clothes on top and shove the whole thing under the bed. Out there in the dark, for a split second, I see a man looking up at me. But when I scrub the fatigue from my eyes, I see it's nothing but a trick of the moonlight. I won't sleep well tonight. Not with a head full of questions. About Liam's secrets, Donnelly's strange tale, the Jenkins Pharmacy. Confluences of coincidence. Seems like an awful lot of those in Jubilee. Tear apart the pieces of our home. I've never wanted to know why you could never let go. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee was written, directed, and produced by Ethan Wellen. It stars Emily Goss as Myra, Zachary Cantrell as Liam, Susan Harmon as Brenda, Michael McShane as Ed, Haley Kewen as Maisie, Carrie Gutierrez as Young Myra, John Ali as Donnelly, Paul Stanko as Alan. Original score by Kevin Hutchins. Associate producer, Emily Goss. Associate producer, Zachary Cantrell. One Eye Open was written and recorded by Andrea Perez and Peyton Widener. Thanks to Kat, Ron, The Evans, Monisha, Jack, David, and Tyler, without whom there could be no Jubilee. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. For cast bios, episode transcripts, and more, find our little town on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's at the number two Dead Girls Pod. Thanks. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to real events or to persons living or dead is purely coincidental.